Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So if you'd like to follow the reading, it's um, Psalm 119, which is on page 621 of the Red Bibles in front of you. And we're starting at verse 161. Psalm 119. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. May my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we stand. Father God, we pray that as we come to your word this morning, you would give us insight and understanding, and we pray that you would equip us to live the life which you have called us to in this world while we wait for heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do pick up your Bibles again and turn back to Psalm 119, and we will look at these last two stanzas together. And as we begin, let me ask you a question. What do you expect from the Christian life? What do you expect from the Christian life? Maybe your expectation of the Christian life is formed through your experience over many years. Or maybe you are just starting out on the Christian life and your experience of that life is what you think as you look forward and you're wondering what it will hold. And now can I say, often I think the way we think about the Christian life falls into one or two ways of thinking. On the one hand, we can think of the Christian life as one of victory. It's glory all the way. The Christian life is great, great, great. Now the extreme of that kind of thinking would be the, the prosperity preachers who say that now you are a Christian you should experience wealth and health and pleasure and everything going well for you from now on. 
Now that's not most people's experience of uh, that view though. And yet I wonder if you have met glory all the way Christians uh, who say praise the Lord all the time. Uh, they enjoy life it seems. They, uh, whenever whatever comes up against them they say praise the Lord. And as you meet those kind of Christians, do you sometimes feel that they don't seem to quite engage with real life? It seems sometimes as if they bury their heads in the sand with regard to what's really going on in the world. You know, their joyfulness just seems a little bit hollow, a little bit fake. They become, as one of the members of the staff team said this week, jarringly joyful because it doesn't seem to quite match up with reality. So we've got that on the one hand, glory all the way Christians. Um, Now if I might say this, I'm not sure if that's really our general problem here at Fullwood. We are probably more prone to thinking of life, uh, the Christian life, as suffering all the way. That life is grim, grim, grim. I was speaking to uh, somebody this week, he said they went on holiday uh, somewhere and met lots of lovely Christians and had a great time with them uh, during the week. And then it got to uh, Sunday and everybody started dressing in black and they went to church and just looked thoroughly depressed. He said they were very full of theological acumen, uh, very aware of what the world was like and yet being a Christian for them just seemed grim. Do you know, that might be an extreme as well. And yet, do you not sometimes feel that for us as Christians, it's very easy to talk about the difficulties of life? Have you felt that as we've studied 1 Peter, you relate to that sense of being a stranger and an alien in the world? And we feel that sense of being excluded. We go, yes, that's what a Christian life's like. It's grim. It's hard. And so the Christian life is grim, grim, grim. And we hang on for heaven. You see, as we get to the end of this psalm, we see that both those extremes are not quite the right. They both have elements of truth in them, but they're not really the whole story. And we find in the first section, verses 161 to 168, the psalmist speaks of great joy and praise. Now his experience of life leads him to have this joy in this life. And a joy which is not detached from the reality of life. Do you see how he begins? Verse 161. Rulers persecute me without cause. Now, do you remember the last time he mentioned uh, rulers was all the way back in verse 23 of the psalm. Uh, right at the beginning of the psalm when he says that there are people who are more powerful than him who are mocking him. Uh, standing over him and causing him to have a hard time. In that same section, he talks about being that stranger on the earth. You see, he wasn't somebody who was detached from the reality of life. He found that there was people persecuting him. And yet in the pain of that, he doesn't stand in awe of those rulers, of those more powerful than him. You see, he could spend all his time worrying about them and being concerned about them. But do you see what he does say in the second half of 161? But my heart trembles at your word. You see, this man, as he faces these rulers who are more powerful than him, who are persecuting him, says, I don't worry about them. My heart trembles at your word, God. And more than that, he rejoices in God's word. Look at verse 162. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. 
He rejoices. As he goes on, you'll see that he is full of love for that word. No, 163, he loves the law. Verse 165, he has peace because he loves the law. In verse 167, he loves them greatly. He loves God's statutes greatly. The sense of being delighting in following God's way. So he rejoices in God's word. He loves that word and he praises God for his word. Do you see that wonderful verse in 164? He says, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. You see, he praises God. And saying seven times a day is a poetic way of saying his life is filled in every part with praise. And so whether he is at work or playing with the children or hanging out the washing or playing football or in a small group, he praises God. And this rejoicing, this love, this praise all comes in the midst of rulers persecuting him. And yet he doesn't stand in awe of those persecuting him. Rather, he stands in awe of God and he rejoices in God's word to him. He praises God's word to him. He loves God's word to him. He's obedient to God's word to him. And the reason is what he finds in this word. Now look again at verse 162. Do you see what he says there? I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. You see, what he finds in this word is great spoil. In this word of God to us in the Bible, we find great spoil. There's great treasure to be found in these pages for us. John Calvin spoke of this treasure, of this gain being thrice welcome. I love the word thrice. It's a great word. Thrice welcome. It's found at a time of victory. It's of great value and it comes to us unexpectedly. You see, in this great game that, game that is thrice welcomes comes to us in the gospel. For the psalmist, it was in the promised gospel. It was something in the future. For us, we have received that gospel message. And it's that gospel message which brings us great spoil. And it's thrice welcome. First, it comes in victory. The gospel shows us that we are winners. You see, even though really we are losers, in the gospel we become victors. The world thinks that as Christians we are losers. Yet because of the cross we are victors in Christ. We are more than conquerors because Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on our behalf. Second, it's of great value. What God has done for us in Christ is give us an inheritance which can never perish, spoil, or fade, which is kept in heaven for us. An inheritance of forgiveness of sins, of an eternal, wonderful life with God, an inheritance which nothing in this world can possibly equal in value because everything in this world perishes, spoils, and fades. And yet the inheritance God has given us in Christ never does any of those things. It's of great value. And thirdly, it comes unexpectedly to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. And through him we receive all the riches of God. 
even though we are sinners, enemies of God, when we heard that gospel message, we saw there that we can have all this from God. Because of Christ's death on the cross for us, we are welcomed as God's sons, something which we don't deserve. You see, thrice welcome spoils. And we know we have that because that's what God promises to us in the gospel, what he has shown in Christ. And so when the powerful or, or the in crowd, the popular group, those who can advance our careers or those who persecute us, when they persecute us, we can rejoice because we have this in Christ. And nothing they can do to us can take that away. You see, the gospel which we find in this word points me to Christ and all that he has done for me. And as I live now, it's this word which ties me to that glorious future. You see, it's this great spoil that comes to us through the gospel, through Christ. Now, you might ask quite rightly that, about me saying that because the writer of this psalm, Psalm 119, was writing in the Old Testament. You know, he speaks of God's word and he speaks of it being this great spoil. But he was before Christ, so how can we say that for us now it's the gospel? It would be a good question to ask. And it's really important for us to understand as we come to God's word and as we find the spoil, for this book is one book made up of various books, but all those various books written by various people at various times all tell one story. The one story of God's salvation plan. The plan which was predicted in the Old Testament and then fulfilled in the New It's such that when, after Jesus' resurrection, when he met the men on the road to Emmaus, Jesus could take them through the scriptures and show them everything that was written about him. Time and time again in the New Testament, the the writers will use the Old Testament to explain the gospel to us, showing us uh, the allusions and quotes which show us Christ predicted. Uh, Why Paul in 2 Corinthians can say that all God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And it's why it's so very, very sad that there are many Jews today who hold to the Old Testament and who are maybe rejoicing, looking forward to what God's going to do. And yet they've missed the point. They've missed Christ. They've missed the fulfillment of this psalm. Now they're looking for something now that has already happened. And so they have actually then rejected the promise that God held out to them. Well, here's something of the authentic Christian experience as we come to this psalm. Joy and delight is an authentic Christian experience of life. It's not jarringly joyful. It's not disconnected from the world and the difficulties of life. But it is nonetheless praise and rejoicing in God. Now, as we've seen in this psalm, as we've read from the beginning, there is a movement through the psalm. Uh, The psalmist starts more from depression and difficulty and moves through to this point of rejoicing. Uh, It's the movement from uh, not understanding the world to understanding what's going on and being joyful in God. He comes to the point of praising, rejoicing and obedience to God. And can I say it's a real challenge to us 
Now Christopher Ash puts it well in words which challenge me very much. He says this, This joy is a challenge to us. For whatever we may say in theory about the Bible in our doctrinal statements, until we rejoice in it, we are practical liberals. Our joy in the world is a litmus test of the value we actually place on the word. Do we rejoice, love and praise our God for this thrice welcome spoil? Maybe we need to allow our hearts to appreciate more of what God has done for us in Christ. And if it was me who was writing this psalm, I would have finished at that point. It would be a great place to finish, wouldn't it? This Christian life where he's moved through this journey, he's now at this point of praise and rejoicing in God and, and he can go on with life. And yet you come to the end, into the last stanza, and it just seems a little bit odd. Now think about that, that journey. We've seen the man living out the Bible in the world. He's dealt with the issues he's faced. He's sought to live out the Bible in all, in all he does and, and done all of that with his prayers to God. He's moved from despair through to this point of glory. And it seems like that would be a great place to finish. It would then lead us to think that our experience of the Christian life should be that glory all the way, saying great, great, great. It certainly shows us that grim, grim, grim suffering all the way Christianity is wrong. But do you see how he speaks in that final section? He seems to flip-flop between praise and desperate prayer. He begins again with a desperate cry. Now you could say, I thought we were over that, but here he comes again, verse 169. May my cry come to you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. He's crying out again for understanding. I thought you had that. There's a sense of wanting to be changed again. Verse 170. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. Please help me, Father, to persevere. Get me to the end. Then he seems to shift back to praise and confidence. My lips overflow with praise for you. Teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word for all your commands are righteous. He's back again to praise. Praise God for, he's prayed to God to teach him his decrees and now he's praising God that he has taught him his decrees. Now these covenant words seem to have penetrated his heart. Then verse 173, is back to desperate pleas. May your hand be ready to help me for I've chosen your precepts. He calls on God for the urgent rescue and help that he requires. He longs for God's salvation. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Now in that verse, he seems to mix them up. He is a plea for salvation with praise for the delight he has in God's word. He wants to praise God at the beginning of verse 175. Let me praise that I may praise you. Then he's back to prayer. And may your laws sustain me. And then as you get right to the end of the whole psalm, there's probably the most confusing verse because he says there, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant for I have not forgotten your commands. You see, we've gone through this whole psalm and he finishes by saying, I've strayed like a lost sheep. 
Now we could think, surely this guy, he, he had got some understanding, he had made it in the last section, the, the, the model Christian by that point. Now we could see him growing and becoming mature in Christ and yet right at the end he's back to what seems like grim, grim, grim. He doesn't seem like a particularly impressive character, does he? He's gone astray like a lost sheep, he says. I wonder what you'd make of such a Christian man or woman. He certainly doesn't seem to be filled with glory all the way now. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm thinking about Christians and people in church, I describe them as an impressive person. That they're very gifted. They've got a lot to offer. I think they've got it sorted. And when we come across people who are needy, who've not quite got it all together, who feel like they've strayed like a lost sheep, we want to care for them and help them and love them and look after them, but we, we don't look to them as our models. We don't, we're not quick to give them jobs to do. And I think implicitly we start to think they're not quite there as Christians. They've not quite made it. And I've seen this attitude that people have in their Christian life as they look at their own experience of life. I once knew a lady who had depression and she thought she could not be a proper Christian. That she couldn't be a proper Christian because she had depression. And proper Christians can't have that. Or we don't tell people of our struggles and our problems and strains because we worry that they might think we are bad Christians. And so we present to them the picture of strength. Or when something does go bad, go wrong, we deal with it ourselves in our privacy of our own families. And then when we get to the point where we think we can tell people because we've worked through it, then we do it so they can think that we are mature and have got it together. We don't like to show people weakness. And yet this psalmist is all the way through showing us that he is a lost sheep and each of us here are lost sheep we're not perfect we are lost sheep and if we are left to our own devices and desires we will very quickly stray again do you not feel that as we walk on the narrow way of God's path we so easily drift off to either side it's not amazing how quickly after church you can be in the service so full of, yes, I'm going for it now, and then so quickly after the service you've drifted off into something else. You see, we can fall into the trap of thinking, I can do this. But the reality is that we can't. And so do you see why his cry at the end is just what we need to hear at the end? Seek your servant. For I've not forgotten your commands. It can seem an odd way to finish because we have started to forget the melody of the psalm. That what we see all the way through the psalm is that God's grace comes to us through his word. And it's that grace which sustains us. It's not through our own effort and our own striving. That we can fall into thinking that it's glory all the way. And then when it's glory all the way, it's just down to me to keep going and keep doing it. I can think the Christian life is brilliant and I can do it all by myself. But the whole of the psalm shows us that we need God. 
and the way that he seeks us is as we read his word and we hear again him speak to us. You see, we need God to keep us on track and to make sense of this world. You see, we are on the path and we're on the path with God, but it's not just a flat path. There's ups and there's downs as we walk along. There is the heights of joy, but there's also the valleys of despair that we go through. And the only thing which will keep us going in both the heights and in the depths is the word of God as God speaks to us. And as he speaks to us in this word of his grace, the grace that ultimately we have received in Christ. You see, there is the movement through the psalm. It does inform and teach us. It does show us that we can go through and get to that penultimate stanza of praise and glory in God. But in a sense, it brings us right back to the beginning so that we start the whole process again. Because that's what the Christian life is like. We are buildings under construction. And so we never grow away from God's word. And we need to keep coming back to it in the best of times and in the worst of times. And we hold on to this word because it's there that God speaks to us and brings his grace to bear in our lives. You see, the Christian life is not glory all the way or suffering all the way. It's not one or the other. There are moments of both. And at those times, when we feel torn between the two, we say, I don't quite understand. I don't know what to go. I feel as if the pain of being a stranger. I feel my sin. I feel the persecution of others. Yet other times I feel strongly being the glory of being a child of God and the wonder of this great inheritance. And at those times, in both those times, I need to remember that I'm redeemed by God's grace. I need him to seek me in that grace and to bring me to heaven. You see, what we see through this whole psalm is that there's this word of God which ties us from this confused world in the present to the glorious future which he has in store for us. And it's for this reason that we can rejoice and we can delight. And it's for this reason that in the midst of the suffering, we can keep going with God, delighting and walking in his way, in the way of this Bible walk. Well, let me pray for us. Father, would you forgive us for the times when we give the impression that the Christian life is miserable, it is just grim, grim, grim. And Father, would you help us to appreciate more of the gospel which you have given to us and to rejoice in it and to praise you in it. And yet, Father, help us to do that in a way which is not jarringly joyful, not in a way which is somehow detached from the reality of life. And on the other hand, Father, help us to live this Christian life in the difficulties holding on to your word, knowing that we are dependent upon you for your grace. And Father, would you keep us walking on that narrow path of your ways? And may we delight in walking that way because we know the end when which that path finishes. And would you equip and strengthen us for that work? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.